Stay, so you stayed. Mm -hmm. I can't even make a call. He stayed. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta check something. Oh, stay, stay. None of us are good. Not all the time. It's impossible to be. But we do our best, hopefully, to choose goodness as a daily ritual and moral guide. Because being good, absolutely, is a lie. It's elusive and can paradoxically be a vicious cycle of self-destruction masked as self-improvement. Choosing goodness, at its heart, is a practice of enlightenment. A conscious effort to find goodness in everything and therefore the best in everything. Yet we never see goodness consistently rewarded in the real world, do we? Good people suffer every day, whether it's in the grace or absence of a higher power, which makes the very concept of goodness, that is, being good for a divine or ethical purpose, more difficult to merit in our physical reality. After all, why choose goodness when bad people seem to benefit as much or more financially, sociopolitically, and personally? While spiritual enrichment feeds our souls, it doesn't pay all our bills. In religion, ethics, and philosophy, good and bad is a very common dichotomy, and the concepts themselves have literally been in debate since the dawn of human history. Generally speaking, the concept of good is widely interpreted in most cultures as the antagonist to evil, and for obvious reasons, it's preferable for good to always prevail over evil or quote bad things. Yet in religions like Buddhism, good and evil are not exact opposites, but necessary partners for a greater understanding of sunyata, or emptiness. Sunyata is the recognition of good and evil not being unrelated, but two parts of a greater whole, of a greater unity, and of a oneness. But without being too vague, or spiraling into philosophy 101, the most significant discussions outside of religious circles on goodness have been had by Greek philosopher kings Aristotle and Plato, which I'm sure you've heard of. Plato particularly identifies how the form 
of good allows for our cognizance to understand difficult concepts, such as the beneficial, beneficial intricacies of justice. By being able to both witness and comprehend the differences between good and evil, we can then establish a fair and impartial system to mediate between good and evil, while also adhering to a separation of church and state. Plato simplifies this and identifies knowledge and truth as the utmost importance in human society, delegated by what we conceive as good and evil. And through quoting fellow philosopher Socrates says, quote, good is yet more prized because it provides the very foundation for knowledge and truth itself, end quote. Then again, who am I or Plato or Socrates to say? What makes myself, you, or anyone quantifiably more good, let alone good enough to pass judgment on others with such conviction? When did we even become good? Was it at birth or earned karmically throughout our lifetime? And where's the proof? How do we even ascertain this ideal form of good when our goodness is only measurable against someone else's goodness? These, to me, are just some good questions that a mere mortal can't ever answer entirely. Even I'm not that good. But perhaps a divine counsel would help. Entertain this. Imagine you died. Sorry. But you've been by all accounts a good person. Being good, you naturally go to heaven. You land at reception to a choir of, of angels, deposited right before an angelic receptionist sitting behind a nice mahogany desk. The receptionist opens heaven's account book, and indeed, you're in the right place. You've committed good deed after good deed straight for a hundred years. Look at you. And your ledger of impeccable goodness depicts a splendid life full of charity, kindness, and always being of service to others. But the receptionist, amongst the other angels, is in confusion. There's a problem. See, heaven has different levels of accommodation. The angels explain that if you have one to a few bad deeds, you're living in the highest level suites, which has a spectacular seafront view of earth and unlimited access to heaven. If you have more bad deeds, you're given a slightly lower level of accommodation. Say like parkside view of the Rocky Mountains and limited buffet options. And so it goes with different levels of accommodation in heaven as the angels explain to you about their sliding scale of reward tiers for goodness. But for someone like you, who's never committed a bad deed, there is no such place. You're the first perfectly good person. In fact, the angels praise and envy that you are so magnificently perfect they unfortunately don't know where to place you. Rules are rules after all, and they're only angels, and they can't just let you wander around heaven. While you explain in your best Larry David impression that seaside is fine, although you're slightly disappointed by the meager buffet option, the angels insist on finding the perfect solution for the perfect human. Of course, you think this is absurd. After all, you've spent your whole life being good, enduring the temptations of evil in pursuit of a higher virtue. And now, even in, and even in heaven, you still have problems like you did at the DMV. What the heck? What the fudge? Yet finally, the angels convene and come to a consensus. They explain that your body is still intact on earth. A little worse for wear, but still there. They'll grant you three hours of life to commit one bad deed. Then they'll tractor beam you back up to heaven and finish the formalities, especially since the Michael Jackson and Prince concert is on later tonight. Not that they're more important, but you get it. 
annoyed and tired, you acquiesce, and there you are back in your body. Not in the hospital, not near your still-alive wife or husband grieving elsewhere, but on a central park bench left wondering what bad deed to commit. However, you've been so good for so long that being bad, especially knowing heaven exists, is not as easy as it looks. Maybe this is a test. Yet after an hour and a half, you're still no worse for wear, and especially not worse than what you were before you died. But you can't bring yourself to hurt anyone or steal. You can barely keep extended eye contact knowing the predicament you're in, let alone who's watching. That is, until an attractive man or woman crosses your view, inviting a glance that is very DTF. Adultery being a somewhat universal sin, you catch up to the sex pot, and lo and behold, almost as if by divine intervention, they invite you over to their house for an afternoon delight. Nature takes its course as you have a swell time enjoying the pleasure of the flesh, and you finish. There. Done. One bad deed in the books. How you'll explain this to your spouse is another problem altogether, but it's likely better to be single in heaven anyways. As you get dressed, still ashamed of your somehow living corpse and with 15 minutes to spare, you don't want to die in this stranger's house. So you walk to the door, they kiss you goodbye, but not before saying, Ah, thank you. Do you know what a good deed you've done for me today? The angels collectively cry from heaven, Damn it, one more good deed. This story, like all other culture stories about good people, shows how little we truly understand about goodness as a unified principle. Yet we all inherently know to find goodness in our choices. Not as a religious practice per se, but as an innate human desire to choose the better nature of ourselves. Or as Indian yogi, mystic, and best-selling author Sadhguru believes, we don't need to fight our own thoughts regardless if they're good or bad. Sadhguru, originally named Yagi Vasudev, founded the Isha Foundation, a non-profit organization which offers yoga programs around the world and is involved in social outreach, education, and environmental initiatives. Sadhguru believes that if we're truly good, the goodness will find us because we inherently want to find it. Like a flower in bloom, all we need to do is look despite what storms surround us. Better yet, if that sounds too much like an inspirational infomercial, Sadhguru insists to merely respect yourself as much as your bad thoughts. Don't try to stop your negative thoughts, he says, as there is no such thing as a positive or negative thought, only our external consequences. Fighting your own thoughts is like fighting your own ghosts. You make them, and then, they f then you fight against them. And even if you win, as Sadhguru explains further, then you've really lost your mind. You take away negative thoughts. Don't identify any thought as negative because it's just a thought. Who told you it's negative? It's just a thought. You're making it up, maybe you like it. What's the problem? If you understand it's just a thought, it has no power. If you think it's a reality, then it destroys you. It's just a thought, isn't it? Is it true that you made up the thought? Ah, it's you're having doubts about it because you are not thinking, you have a mental diarrhea happening. Yes, it's simply happening. Thinking means… the word thinking means you are exercising your thought process consciously, isn't it? Thinking means 
you are doing something consciously. Right now this is in a state of mental diarrhea, it's just pouring all the time. Now, what is negative about it, what is positive about it, the what is negative is, it's happening unconsciously, that is what is negative, not the content. You thought about a devil, that's negative, you thought about a god, that is positive, there's no such thing. The most negative thing that's happening right now is it's happening unconsciously, that is what is negative about it. And uh, a whole lot of people have destroyed themselves trying to stop those thoughts that they think are negative and they try to fight them in so many different ways. You create these things and then you fight them. It's your thought. You must be able to throw it and roll it back whenever you want. You must be able to roll it out and roll it in as you want. But right now, your own ghosts have become so big that you want to fight them. If you win, you're really lost. Because something that is not true, if you fight and win it, you have really lost it. So there is no such thing as negative and positive thought. Either it's a conscious thought or it's a diarrhea. So, how to stop this? See, suppose you're having diarrhea, gen physical diarrhea. First thing to do is, every other treatment is next. First thing to do is stop eating bad food. Something caused diarrhea, first thing is stop eating bad food, whatever caused this, stop that. This is the first thing you must do. Right now the bad food is just this. You identified yourself with something that you are not. Now you can't stop your thought process, do what you want. You do any mantra you want, think of any god you want, do whatever the hell you want. The moment you identify yourself with something that you are not, you cannot stop your mind. The world respecting you is the quality of the world around you. If they are that kind, they will respect you. <laughs> but uh, I know a lot has been said about this, but you respecting yourself, I think is a little crazy. Respect is between two people, but I'm asking anybody here, isn't respect between two people that uh, you respect somebody for who they are? I respect myself, you must be mad. Because these things, like uh, this is a big thing, you know, in America people are saying, all these days they used to say, I believe in God. Now they say, I believe in myself <laughs> All these days they used to say, I love you to somebody. These days they have started and I love myself. See, to love, to believe, to respect, you need two. If you have become two within yourself, for sure you're heading for madness <laughs> yeah. If you really become two, then we say you're schizophrenic, isn't it? So this has been worked in so many different ways by religious people, by new age philosophers, all kinds. I love myself, I respect myself, I believe in myself, uh, me and my ego, me and my soul, all kinds of things. I'm asking you, all of you, within your body, are you one person or two people? Please made up, make up your mind right now, one or two. So, this self-respect business has to go because this will lead to all kinds of expectations. I respect myself, I think I'm a big guy. Now I expect you also to treat me like that. When you don't, I will become resentful, angry, all kinds of things. 
there is no need for me to respect myself. But if I respect somebody, it may not even be because of their quality, it is because of my quality I respect somebody, isn't it? You're in a place of learning, you're in a place of moving upward in your life, so you're looking up. You're looking up to something means you're moving upward. If you're looking down upon something means you're moving downward, isn't it? So, respect is between two people. I don't see how it is applicable within myself, I respect myself. I believe myself, I love myself, these are all statements of the insane. <laughs>